0: say that, podcast, for your big questions, hear your real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Season's greetings. Well, is all the way from Rochester
1: Tennessee, Lee Younger. Oh, that would be the liturgical season of tide. That's, you know it, man. If there's one thing I'm known for, it is my great love and admiration for the liturgical calendar.
0: <laughs> no doubt about it. We record this on uh, January 7th which uh, I'm seeing is as listed as a day that some people may celebrate the epiphany. So technically still within the Christmas season.
1: Well, and I would in, in the spirit of being um, unnecessarily, I guess the word would be pedantic. um, Sure. Like it's always some season. So like seasons greetings, right? I mean, this should be usable pretty much whenever.
0: I like weaponizing um, both logic and politeness in that way. Just seeing someone in like mid-June, like season's greetings. <laughs>
2: what, the, what are you talking about?
0: It's a season.
2: It's The season yeah. of summer. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's exactly as it should be. Well, we hope you're enjoying podcast season.
1: Absolutely. It's always that season. <laughs>
0: never-ending firehose of content uh so we have another great show for you in that vein we've got some of your great questions but first you must declare a seasonal cinematic emergency
3: oh what well jed even adjectives. though
0: you sounded very surprised this is actually your idea so i'm gonna to kick to you oh on this um as we are wont to do an occasional conversation amongst ourselves um jed came up with a, a christian movie idea recently The difference was, normally they're insane because they're based on some Christian movie thing we already saw. This one is actually uh, legitimately possibly good. So I wanted to hand it over to the creative cinematic mind of Jed Brewer to lay out his vision for you, the listener.
1: First of all, it's an honor just to be nominated. That said, (laughs) I will only be honored if I win. Okay, so... Well, I like that,
0: Jed, not to cut you off before you even start, but on the season's greeting things, you didn't say it was an honor for you to be nominated, so that's fine. It's an honor to be nominated. That's just a statement of fact.
1: <laughs> well, well put. It, it is an honor to be nominated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, in the spirit of that, I'm going to start because, you know, it's left as an exercise for the listener. Like, it's an honor to be um, an Olympic medalist. Sure. And just hang that out there. I'm not claiming I'm one of them. I'm just saying that would be a very honorable thing. So ah,
2: grammar.
0: <laughs> it's an honor to represent my country at the Olympics. I didn't say I was doing it. I said it'd be an honor. There's 300 million people <laughs> to live in this country.
1: So as as not uh, an, an Olympian. So here's my concept: is a movie called The Three Wise Guys, and it's it's three very mobbed up dudes. Um, you know from not Manhattan, the, the other boroughs, sure. and they, they come across a, a, a very uh, economically disadvantaged, down-on-their-luck um, refugee family, and they have to help them out, and they learn valuable lessons about love and salvation and family in the process. Here's my question. How is this not being made by Pure wow. Flicks right now?
0: Wow. Well, Jed, I have two answers to you on that front um, on how okay. this isn't on Pure Flix. Uh, one is uh, that sounds like a good movie. Mm, yeah. Not really their bread and butter. <laughs> yeah. And maybe this is where we can get a fleshing out this pitch. The other question is, who does the pastor who owns Pure Flix play in this?
2: Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, if we understand anything, you want to get that film made. You got to have a role for him. And it doesn't hurt if you got one for Ke- if You got a little something for Kevin Sorbo as well. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe yeah. any 90s sitcom actor. We've had a Kevin Sorbo, a Melissa Joan Hart. I'm sure there's others in there. Who's, who's weird career we were semi-resurrecting? Baio. Scott Bayo, all up in it. Totally.
1: Has Kirk Cameron appeared in any uh, Pure Flix movies yet? I don't think Fireproof was a Pure
0: Flix joint, as I'm sure they put it. <laughs> I'm going to go to an incognito browser before I search Kirk Cameron's IMDb, because I don't want that following me. Around the internet.
1: That is the greatest use of an incognito browser window that I have ever heard. I am here for it.
0: Let's see. Oh, this is a dark place. Um, Most recent thing he's involved with is a TV show called Takeaways with Kirk Cameron. Okay.
1: Okay. I I assume that's about people who are hungry and they're picking up their food from a restaurant and taking it home to eat it.
0: Uh, Let's find out. Kirk Cameron hosts an inspirational and informative sit down interview talk show. Focusing on a God-oriented perspective. Sounds like it's Kurtz Cameron's podcast. And this, uh, the, you know, the, for a show like this and the cast part of IMDb, they'll often just list the people who been guests. And this is dark in a way that is not interesting or funny, just about what you expect. Lay it on me. Candace Cameron Burr, Mike Huckabee, Dallas Jenkins. Wow. Uh, Eric Metaxas. Nope. One of the Cokes, a lot of fun stuff going on there. Oh, here's a fun one from 2023. Uh, the title of the project is video. This is how chat GPT really works. And Mr. Cameron is listed as Elon Musk chat GPT data engineer. Oh. There's a lot of crazy things about that. And most of maybe first and foremost, Elon Musk is not involved with chat GPT in any way.
1: No, <laughs> no.
0: Uh, let's see the, the blurb take an exclusive look inside chat GPT headquarters and see how the controversial AI program responds to all those questions.
1: Okay. Is, is chat GPT the beast? Like, is that, is that the takeaway? It feels like that's gotta
0: be it. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, normally the people that evangelicals pick to be the beast is, you know, I don't, I, I don't think it's great one way or the other. I don't think, um, I don't think Elon Musk is any kind of biblical abomination, but. You guys want to act like he is and uh, go that route, then yeah, I'm gonna call that a win.
1: <laughs> just, just to be safe, because I was still logged in to Chat GPT from our previous recording session. Oh, so uh in you know, cause I don't you know, I don't suffer electronic fools. I just cut straight to the chase and I asked Chat GPT, "Are you the Antichrist?"
0: Oh,
1: but you'll be you'll be relieved to know it immediately replied, "No, I am not the Antichrist. I am just a computer program created by OpenAI called GPT three point five, which is exactly what the Antichrist would tell you. <laughs> <laughs> is it? That's what the Beast
2: wants you to think, man. That's right. Oh, that's, that's
1: right." The concept of the Antichrist is a religious and cultural belief, and I do not possess personal identity, beliefs, or intentions, which is exactly what the Antichrist would say.
0: (laughs) Also, just one thing I'm going to put out there, um, I am positive that is not the first time someone has asked ChatGPT that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Maybe the first time it's been
0: done for entertainment purposes, but not the first time it's just been asked.
2: That was in the chamber. I want to return to the three wise guys pitch real quick. Okay, please do. Um, uh, as the, I'm guessing the you know erstwhile executive producer of, of said project, Jed, what would be the uh, the three wise guys like equivalent gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh in in a surrounding borough that is not Manhattan um, with guys in I'm guessing kind of velour jumpsuits, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So, I was thinking about how to do this and I felt like the the best way to do it, right, is like very early in the film we cut to like an observation van and a group of FBI agents who are trying to do a sting, right? But there's a new guy on the project so they have to explain everything to him, which gives us an excuse to do exposition. A ah, point of view character, if you will. <laughs> exactly right. And so like one of the guys, one, one of the, the the three wise guys is involved in um, uh, 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 the, the pawn industry, which does a lot of gold. And one of the guys is involved in knockoff luxury goods, including cologne and perfume. So we've got frankincense. And the other guy uses funeral homes as a way to launder cash. <laughs> so we've got myrrh. And so because it's all taking place around Christmas, someone's like gold, frankincense and myrrh. It's the three wise men. And then someone goes, No. It's the three wise guys. And that's when like the title, da, 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 right. I, I I think that's probably the way to set it up.
0: That's amazing. It's also just not getting us any closer to the goal. The goal is to be on Pureflix because way too clever. Again, I think if you're doing this on Pureflix, your name would be like Jim gold, Frank, Nathan sense. And then the last guy's name would be like Murph. Why? <laughs> And they would save the three wise men thing for like the third act. Cause they think it's like a big
1: reveal.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's totally true. I can't wait to hear the, the trailer and like, instead of in a world, maybe I'm guessing it's going to be something like, and since it's pure flicks, it would be like this Christmas tide, like because of the liturgical calendar, taking the three wise men past new years. Yeah. But this yeah. is going to be a great trailer.
0: Well, if we if there was an alternate universe where PureFlix was releasing this, they would do that uh, conservative thing where they can't do a joke because they get too mad in the setup. And it would be the world's first 15-minute long trailer because it'd be like <laughs> in a world where Christmas, which they don't want you to be able to say anymore, they want you to say Happy Holidays. And it would just go on like that for 10 minutes over <laughs> a blank screen and be
1: like, oh, yeah, there's a movie, too. Let's show some of that. That's,
2: that's
1: funny. <laughs> Here's here's my other dream, because what I, what I hear you guys saying is that Pure Flix might pass on this project, which... Mm. It, you know, Jed,
0: it never hurts to have a variety of uh, studios interested, is what I'll say.
1: Yeah, yeah. All I'm saying is I would be delighted if we could get people attached that kind of got the vibe. Like, what I really want to do is a mashup of something like like really kind-hearted, like like really sweet-natured filmmaking. I mean, like, you know, something that really, and not just that, you know, kind of shamelessly pulls on the heartstrings, but you're like, man, you know, like, you know, this is really, this is really good. Like, I feel like a better person for having watched this. But with the vocabulary of like, a Cohen brothers mafia movie where it is just a hard R rating from the language alone. Like if we <laughs> could bring those two things together, I feel like that would really nail the three wise guys.
0: So you want like Miller's crossing, but we all learn a heartwarming lesson.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly.
0: So it's the same scene with him on his knees, begging and look into your heart and find forgiveness. But instead of the way it happens in Miller's crossing, he's like, you know, I was shown forgiveness once. I guess I should. And then he exactly. like, gives him a
2: job. It's like, it's like the, it's like, it's a wonderful life. And the Sopranos.
1: Yes. Yes. You've, you've got it. Exactly. If you could True. put together, it's a wonderful life in the Sopranos. This is what I want to see happen on the earth. <laughs> it's a wonderful gobble. ghoul. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, and there's your episode title. <laughs>
0: I don't think you can be culturally insensitive to Italian-Americans at this point, but that, that would, that would, be, that would be, get real close.
1: Oh, gosh. In general, I think the whole generative AI thing is wildly overblown on almost every conceivable metric. But I really hope it advances to the point where I can give these kind of commands to, um, I guess, a video equivalent of a large language model and have it create a film for me. Because I'm not going to lie. I would watch that movie. No one's going to so make hard, it, man. but uh, I would watch that movie. Well, that brings
0: up an interesting point, which is being that we, we, we have, you know, I think we've only watched the one, but we've, we've encountered de- summaries of many pure flicks and pure flicks adjacent projects over the years in this show. And, uh, they I wouldn't say they value artistry in the script writing. So the question I put to you gentlemen is, has the first Chat GPT script for a Pureflix movie already been written?
1: Uh, oh,
2: yeah. Well, I uh, mean, it, look, this is not far-fetched. A number of pastors have already been busted for for AI English oh, yeah, like sermons before Chat
0: GPT was out of beta. Have they really?
2: Oh yeah. Wow.
0: I'm 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 looking at the the closest I can find to a release list of Pureflix projects is from. January of last year, where they were kind of doing. Here's what's coming in 2023, and uh, one is called Courageous. From the creators of Fireproof comes Courageous, an action-packed drama that will have families laughing and cheering, and inspired by everyday heroes to me the fathers of courage. It's about how great cops are. So again, you could have just put uh, Fireproof but cops into ChatGPT. <laughs> <Shaggy laughs> uh, another one, and I can't believe this isn't. Uh, this is the most pureflix I've ever heard. Uh, the Most Reluctant Convert, The Untold Story of C.S. Lewis. <laughs> the remarkable Spiritual Journey of C.S. Lewis, beloved author, beloved author of the Chronicles of Narnia, the Screwtape Letters of Mere Christianity, comes to life on screen. Uh, one point I'll point out, it's not the untold story of C.S. Lewis's life. Outside, actually more so than many biblical figures, C.S. Lewis has the most told life story yes, in the yeah. history
1: of humanity. It's come <laughs> up quite a bit.
0: Like it's, it's the, if anything, and I'm sure he's, he's a good, the books are very nice. I'm sure he was a nice man. It's an overtold life story. We need to tell other stories.
1: Yeah.
2: That'd be great if that was the byline. The most <laughs> reluctant convert, the overtold story of C.S. Lewis. <laughs> well, you know, the, you know, I call those semi true story based on our true stories.
0: Like it's the story you never knew. would be like, yeah. Reluctant convert, it's exactly the story you think we're gonna tell that you've already heard. <laughs> <laughs> There's one of these, ah, here we go. This is I can't this is the most Chad GPT one I've found so far. The uh, I'm gonna give you this in reverse order. So here's the description: a feisty young woman dedicated to saving her family farm and a driven real estate tycoon fall in love. But things get complicated when his company assigns him to foreclose on her family's farm. Uh. The title is Cream of the Crop.
1: <laughs> wow. Wow.
0: Which you've done a blasphemy there, not with anything religious, but by reappropriating appropriating the title of one of the best Macho Man Randy Savage promos of all time and doing something lame with it. <laughs> you've offended me personally. But also, that's got to be I, here's why I feel that's the most Chad GPT of all of them one uh, has anyone described what appears to be a woman in her 30s based on the actress as a feisty young woman since 1978 the other thing about that is um i'm look i'm not a driven real estate tycoon or a tycoon of any kind but i don't think that they send the ceo of like bank of america to personally pour- foreclose on small farms in middle america
3: right this yeah. feels like
0: Somebody took their their um. Took their failed Hallmark movie pitch, and was like, um, "Chat GPT, make this five percent more Christian, so I can get it on Pureflix."
1: <laughs> I have to share this, so because I'm just thinking about you know people trying to you know use Chat GTP for Christian movies. So I said, "Tell me the story of Elijah if Quentin Tarantino wrote it." Oh wow! My. Wow. Okay, so. Title, Divine Retribution. Strong start. Strong start. Opening scene, the sun beats down on a dusty, barren landscape as the camera zooms in on a lone figure walking towards a small, sun-bleached town. The man is Elijah, a mysterious and stoic drifter with a haunted past. The air is thick with tension as he enters the town, his eyes scanning the faces of the locals who seem to know more than they're letting on. Dude! If Pure Flix were wow. to make these movies, like I I would tr- give them a
0: try, for real. I mean, it's an improvement. Also, um I think we all know that if Quentin Tarantino were to make a biblically based movie, it would have there'd be one of the foot washing scenes in there. Yeah, it would last yeah, for seven true. minutes for no apparent reason. It'd have nothing to do with the story.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. why you have
0: to have Chat GPT do it because you let him write the actual script. You'd be like, and then we'll do the foot wash. And be like, that's not in the story of Elijah. That's like a New Testament thing. Jesus, is like, yeah, it'll be fine.
3: <laughs> I guess
0: we're doing this. <laughs> also, this movie is going to be nine hours long. You combine uh, Quentin Tarantino and biblical epic.
1: Yeah, wow. yeah. Well, I, I, for one, I'm excited. I feel like we're on the cusp of, of making, you know, uh, cinematic history, Christian cinematic history. And, um, you know, on that basis, I, I think, you know, if, if we're all in agreement, I'm prepared to declare that our cinematic emergency may be off.
0: Well, the motion passes. Indeed.
1: Ah, huzzah.
0: So, yes, um, if you are a person who has some extra time, and uh, a highly advanced large language learning model that you think you can put to put to work on these, please go, just go ahead and make that. Those are free ideas. <laughs> unless you're, um, unless you're actually pure flicks, in which case we're going to sue because we intend to get paid. But if you're just a person who wants to make something fun, that's cool. Please go ahead and do that. What we find fun is answering your questions. Would you have some great ones that came in? We will uh, move on to those. If you have a question for us, you can handle this us all the way to the end or scroll down to your episode description. Click on the links you find there. First question comes in and says, I'd like to try something different with reading the Bible in 2024. I've done the one-year Bible and audio Bible. Any other suggestions? So uh, really another great New Year's question here. And Jed, where would we kick this off?
1: It is a great question. And so I think there's probably all kinds of things that you can try. And so the first one that comes to mind, of course, is to try reading a different translation. Um, you know, if you if you normally read uh, something like the NIV or the NIRV, um, giving a read to something like the Message um, that's a little bit more of a, um, a a thought for thought translation rather than a word for word translation can be really really good and really really helpful. Uh, another thing that can be really useful is to with whatever translation you want, to to kind of read through the Bible, but to read a really good commentary along with it that's going into just a lot of detail about the language and the the social customs and the historical situation. Um, There's plenty of good ones out there. The one from William Barclay is a personal favorite uh, for anything in the New Testament. I think it's really, really good stuff. It's definitely worth checking out. Another thing that you can do is— to check out there are a number of artists that have done this but one of the first that comes to mind is a guy named randall goodgame who has taken um a fair amount of scripture at this point and uh put it to music um and uh, r- remind me what the artist name he uses on that is slugs and bugs right slugs and bugs because it's in theory it's meant for kids but it's really good music so um and it will it will get it stuck in your head and you know you'll be kind of experiencing scripture musically, which is a really, really cool thing. Another thing that you can do is to uh, try taking a passage of scripture and kind of using that as a, a centering phrase um, as you meditate. That can be a really cool thing to do. That's, that's worth a shot. Um, another one that you can look at is, you know, a lot of classic artwork is, are based on themes from the Bible. And so if you either live in a place where you're near a museum, or if you're going to do some travel and you're going to be near a museum, go and spend some time just uh, hanging out with a a really cool painting of something from the Bible and just kind of soak in the details. Like there's a a Christian writer named Henri Nouwen, who I think he spent like a year just studying and taking notes on Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. Um, And then he kind of wrote, you know, kind of a whole meditation on it. There's there's a lot of detail in those paintings. So those are just a few things that certainly, you know, you you can try. But I think the key thing that I would encourage you on is to, to give yourself the freedom and the flexibility to be creative and to try things and be like, you know, I liked this part of that. I didn't like this other part of that. And to keep trying things until you find something that just feels like a good fit to you, that feels like a, you know, like a good a good fit there there is not there is not one right way to to read the bible or to study the bible or to have a quiet time um what works for you and what works for you in the season in which you find yourself that's really the key thing so give yourself permission to to be creative to try things and and to not feel like oh no i've got to get it locked in in the next week so that i can then do it for the next calendar year you don't you don't have to do anything like that you can try some things and and just kind of see how it goes, and where it leads you. I
0: mean, that's a fantastic place to start that off. And Lee, where would we pick that up?
2: Love all of those suggestions from Jed. Want to add uh, another uh, band into his suggestion of people who have written songs straight from Scripture. There is a, a band that's called Poor Bishop Hooper, and they have written a song for all 150 of the Psalms. Very very chill meditative style on purpose. Very like this is not gonna like hype you up uh, for the club or anything like that. This is just these are songs written for meditation, um, and reflection. And um, but yeah, so they they've they've got them all done, all 150 psalms. Um, I loved all of those suggestions, and I think all of the things that Jed talked about are are ways to just kind of uh just change things up, and the the thing that I would add to that is that I would suggest that you uh, try this year reading Scripture with someone else. What I mean by that is, like, a good friend that you trust or that you have a good relationship with, or uh, a few friends, and you kind of decide, this week we're going to read, you know, uh, the the book of Colossians, it's like four chapters long, or uh, we're going to read Colossians chapter one. We're just going to read it all week, and then on Saturday morning, we're going to have breakfast together, or a cup of coffee, or just with this friend, and we're going to go for a walk, and we're going to talk about it. Any time that I've had that experience where I've j- even sometimes not even prepared beforehand, just gotten in a room with other people, and we look at a passage together, and you you kind of fight through the 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 silence of people just kind of chewing on it and thinking about it and processing their own reactions and emotions and questions and then conversations just come up that that to me are have always been so much more fruitful than what i would have thought about those verses on my own in my own room um and so that's just a, another way to kind of switch things up is is invite someone to to read through some passages with you and then go get a cup of tea or take a walk together and, and just kind of process what you got out of it and what your questions and confusions are out of those things. And, and a thing that we should add on this, and I love how Jed said, we don't, need to, uh, we don't need to create this some kind of pressure that things have to go on a calendar and they have to start right now. I would also say, please do not insist on the pressure of like, whatever I read, I have to have an understanding of exactly what I think about this passage. Um, I guarantee you that everybody on this podcast has had a gradually refining and changing understanding of most of the Scripture that we've read throughout the time that we've been interacting with Scripture. And so don't put that pressure on yourself that, like, I have to have the one locked-in way to see these verses. But I think when you do read in a community of other people, you're going to find some you're just going to find that other people think in different ways than you, and they bring up different things, and it makes you think of, of different things that you hadn't thought about before, and I think that kind of stuff's really cool. Another thing is the Bible is a gigantic book. It's actually a library. It's a collection of books and all kinds of different kinds of literature. Um, and what people, what I find is people tend to kind of gravitate towards the same things that they always read in the Bible. Um, a few years ago on this show... Um, Jed made a suggestion of a book um, by a guy named um, avraham Heschel about the prophets and um, and I bought the book and and um, and it is fascinating it's a, It is a great book um, it 's not the same thing as a commentary like Jed is suggesting suggesting, but it has given me a completely different understanding about certain things that my faith tradition when I was growing up in just would they would read the prophets to us or somebody would preach from the prophets and they would skip like gigantic things that the prophets are all about, like justice and oppression and um, immigrants (laughs) and all kinds of stuff. And it's all just right there. And, and Rabbi Heschel just deals with all of that stuff. Um, and so, and I say all that to say, um, maybe decide to camp out in some areas of Scripture that you don't normally gravitate toward. Um, If you haven't read the book of Jeremiah in a long time, just read it slowly, and don't do it like you're doing Bible study. Just see what Jeremiah has to say about society and the human heart and stuff like that. Last little suggestion I would make, and this is just a, a resource that I have found really, really not only helpful, but like just I just really enjoy it, and it's given me a lot of... Uh, just it's just kind of pumped me up about engaging scripture more is there is a group um, of folks who are centered out in Portland, Oregon, but they have people working all over the world for this organization. Now it's a, it's a 501 C three called the Bible project. And they're an animation studio. And what they do is they have all kinds of scholars who um, they, most of the, the people that do the scholarly work are people that read they, these are people that like studied in Jerusalem, and they read Hebrew like I read English, and they read Greek like I read English. These guys have done their homework, and the first thing that they started doing is they started they made an eight minute animated video about every single book in the Bible, just giving you like in eight minutes. Here's what the book of Obadiah is about, and then you watch it. It's beautifully animated, which I just kind of personally dig because I I like good animation and interesting animation. And at the end of it, I'm like, "Oh, cool! Like, I feel like I understand what Obadiah is about, and I didn't understand it when I was growing up in my faith tradition." So, um, that's just a resource. They have all kinds of beautiful videos with different animation about different themes in the Bible, different books in the Bible, and um, and every, they're they're funded by they're crowd funded, and. Um, Because of that, every single thing that they offer is free. They never try to tear you up into some like, here's the bonus content if you do this. So you can just go check some of that out and see if any of those videos are things that interest you. Um, For me, they've been really cool and really helpful. So those are just a few other suggestions. Try reading with other people. Try engaging some things like animation and stuff like that. And, And try camping out in an area of the scriptures that you don't spend a lot of time. Those are
0: all great suggestions as well. I'll throw a couple things in here. Um, one is, uh, kind of the exact opposite of what Lee just said, which is fine. Cause we're talking about options to try. Um, uh, there's definitely a lot to be gotten out of camping out and looking at stuff you don't normally look at, but especially if you've been doing the try, I've tr- been trying a bunch of different things last few years. I think sometimes there's also value to be taken into those, those things in the Bible that you kind of automatically skip over because I know what that says. I know what John three says. I know what Romans five says. I know what first Corinthians 13 says go into it as if you don't know what it says. Try it again. Give it the stuff that you're super familiar with. Give that another shot. Cause sometimes you're going to find a lot of layers and a lot of different things in there uh, than you originally thought. So that's always a fun thing to try. And another uh, a book I rec- recommend that I read many, many years ago uh, on this exact topic actually is by uh, the guy who did the message translation named Eugene Peterson. It's called eat this book. And it's, it's, I think it's, it's very nerdy, but you know, such is the way of these things. Um, It's a really interesting kind of breakdown and conversation of how he approaches spiritual reading and what he does to get the most out of it. So um, if you're interested in what uh, some very smart people, uh, the way they approach that, um, then that's also a really fun resource as well. All right. With that, we're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, any tips for dealing with seasonal affectedness? Jed, as a resident of the great state of Illinois for a long time at this point, I'm going to start with
1: you. <laughs> well, uh, first, I feel you. I can't even tell you what a gloomy fall and winter this has been. I mean, it is. Yikes. Um, let's start with the most important thing. So seasonal affective disorder is a medical diagnosis, and none of us on this show are doctors. And even if we were, we wouldn't be your doctors. So. Um, if you have questions about seasonal affective disorder, you should absolutely talk to your doctor. And, um, I understand that not everybody everywhere has consistent access to healthcare. And so, uh, if you're listening to this show and you're like, I've, I'm, I'm going through it and it's really messing with me. And I would like to talk to a doctor, but I don't know how to do that. Um, shoot us a message. We'd love to see if we can find some kind of way to help. Um, but again, seasonal affective disorder is. A medical diagnosis. You should talk to your doctor about that. What I can tell you, just as a human being who's lived in a gloomy place for a long time and, and definitely knows the terrain on a personal level, is I can tell you the stuff that's useful to me. Um, if it's useful to you too, that's great. But this is this is uh, from one layperson to another. Um, honestly, the whole daylight lamp thing, right? That kind of mimics the sun that you can you can blast yourself with. That's for me pretty helpful. Um, that definitely makes a difference. Um, in general, those aren't super expensive. So, um, it's, it's something worth trying. Um, you know, uh, you, I think in general you want to kind of really do that much closer to the start of your day rather than the end. So that it doesn't kind of, you know, mess up your, your internal rhythm, but I definitely find that that's really helpful. I think that for me, um, on those rare days where we do get some actual sunshine. And when I say rare, man, I mean, rare, um, you know, I try and, and do what I can to spend some time outside and, and, you know, get in whatever <laughs> sunlight exposure I can. Um, and so if you have the kind of freedom and flexibility in your life where you can do that, I'd encourage you to do that. But then the, for me, the other two things that I find useful and, and if, if they're useful to you, that's awesome. One is just being understanding with myself, right? So kind of acknowledging to myself, hey, you don't have as much emotional energy right now as you do in the middle of summer. Um, and that is neither good nor bad. It just is. Um, so, you know, you, you are you're, you're dealing with a um, a smaller quantity of that resource than you are at other times. And that's that's the reality of where you're at and that's okay. And then similar is kind of grounding myself of, you know, kind of that reminder of like, Oh yeah, I haven't seen the sun in like three weeks. That is a big part of why I feel the way that I feel. Um, for me, uh, and hopefully this is useful for you. For me, when I don't know why I feel a certain way, it kind of wears on me even more. Um, and, um, there can be a tendency to be like, well, just, you know, just bro up, bro, just push through it. But, um, that, that's actually not how depression works. Um, you know, that's, that's not a a thing of willpower. So, um, there are, there's kind of a, a list in the world of things that are generally suggested for people who, Um, are dealing with some degree of depression, you know, just things like getting regular sleep and and eating regular meals and, and, you know, showering regularly. And if it fits your life, you know, some kind of, of regular, you know, exercise or, or walking or anything at all. And, and for most people, most of the time, those are probably good ideas. But again, that all brings us back to, um, Seasonal Affective Disorder is a medical diagnosis. If you have questions about it, you should absolutely talk to your doctor. In the meantime, man, I feel you. Um, we're, we're praying for you. We're standing with you. And uh, the sun will return eventually. Of this, I have no doubt.
0: I like the, uh, the subtle nod to the James Bond movies in there. The sun will return. We know exactly this to right. be true. As soon as the sun's <laughs> contract... Talks with the broccoli family are over. It will be returning (laughs) in glorious fashion. Uh, So Lee, a lot of great stuff there. And I I do want to pick up on Jed's point that there is such thing as seasonal affective disorder, which is a medical condition, um, environmental, you know, uh, response to the weather. Uh, there also, also are, I think some other compounding seasonal effectiveness uh, some things that will affect your season, both uh, the weather, obviously, but not everybody lives in that place. But, um, you may have just gotten done with the holiday rush. You may have had a bunch of family over. There's a lot of stuff that can uh, contribute to some blahs this time of year. So what other advice would we have?
2: Yeah, I I um I kind of reached did the uh phone a friend thing. We have a great friend of the show who is a licensed professional counselor and just asked her advice about, you know, when when you when you talk to clients who are affected by this or, or just have doldrums when it, when the weather's bad and gloomy and all that kind of stuff, what are some of the things that, that you, um, you know, propose to them? And it's really cool. I mean, just to hear like so many of the things just overlap exactly with what Jed was talking about. And, um, and I actually reached out to another friend who I know has just kind of been through a lot of this before, uh, personally, And both of them said, talked about the importance of just like setting up the types of routines that get your body up and moving. And even if you are going to be, for instance, like working at home or something, going from PJs to day clothes, like quickly, if you can get outside, like Jed said, get outside, but regardless, try to get that body moving, try to get exercise going and and even things down to, like, um, the, the counselor that I was talking to said, like, in some cases, they will actually prescribe, like, tanning beds. And, like, which is a thing that, I, that had never even occurred to me before, which I think it's just really interesting. It's kind of a version of the light box that, that Jed is talking about. Um, and even, like, you know, vitamin D supplements and stuff like that to kind of replace some of the things that you're not getting from, um, you know, the absence of the sun and the un- unhospitable wasteland where Jed and Matt decide to live their lives. But like this, there is, there's so many things that, that both of these, uh both of these women were saying to me about just about the importance of setting up routines, just about the importance of the importance of getting, um, you know, even engaging in things like hobbies or art or um, doing things that are not, Screen based or things that things that are for you um enjoyable routine that you can go back to that you can set up that just kind of help with depression in general and um, things that stimulate your brain things that stimulate activity, all of those kinds of things, and um making sure that you're reaching out to people, making sure that you're sharing with people how you're feeling and how you're doing and and trying to foster those. Uh, senses of of connection um and i you know I think a lot of the things that that you would talk about in kind of general depression you would talk about with this type of situation, even down to like um you know taking a look at what am I eating and how does it make me feel and um not in the sense of being like judgmental on yourself or anything like that, but just being purely like pure analysis of like what am I taking in and what am I doing. And how is it making me feel? Those kinds of things I think are super important in this. And exactly as Jed ended off realizing that this is a this is a temporary season. And um, one of my friends that I reached out to said that after establishing a lot of these routines that started to kind of turn the ship on this, she said, I started um, leaning into things that I actually really enjoy about the winter season. So like, you know hot coffee mugs and big sweaters. She's like, I like big sweaters and fuzzy hats and hot coffee mugs. And so I want to en- enjoy that kind of thing on purpose, almost as kind of like a routine meditation type of practice. And so all of these things added up together, what you're hearing is there's a lot of intentionality involved in this. And again, underscoring that what, what you're actually asking about at the beginning of the question is a diagnosable medical condition, and yet, and the, at the same time, a lot of folks can experience something akin to it that maybe isn't a diagnosable medical thing, but it's like, I'm just feeling low during these kind of gray, colder winter months. What are some practices, some intentional intentional things that I can do to kind of turn the ship of my experience?
0: That's all all really great advice from both of these guys. With that, we're going to move on to our final question. It comes in and says... In John four, Jesus tells the woman at the well that whoever drinks from him will never thirst again. I feel like I need to be refilled all the time, and I hear other people talk about that too. How does that reality match up with what Jesus says in the story? And I think, again, really, really cool question, really interesting take on this. And Jed, where would we kick this off?
1: It is a great question. So, just so that we're all on the same page, um, I'm just going to read a couple of quick things from uh, John chapter four. Um, Uh, So, uh, Jesus, let's see here. Uh, Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a town. Uh, There's a well there. Jesus was tired from the journey. He sat down by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Um, They go back and forth a little bit. And then Jesus says, and this is the thing being referenced in the question Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Um, and if you've grown up around church, that is a very, very famous statement. Uh, and in fact, um, the way that a lot of churches and, and a lot of Christian things are named, you've probably seen a church called the Living Water Community Church, you know, that is a reference to to that. So that's where it's coming from. These are great questions. Let's start with this. I'm not a Bible scholar and I wasn't there, but uh, just reading the interaction, which I would encourage you to take the time to to go and do in John chapter four, there's a lot of back and forth happening in this conversation. Um, and there is a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, there's a pretty cinematic quality to it to throw back to our emergency opening segment. Like, I mean, there's, there's, Aspects of this conversation feel like film dialogue, honestly. And there are certainly things that um, have kind of a clever retort quality to them, as opposed to, I will now dispense literal theological truth. Um, And uh, so I don't know, but I suspect that that's part of what's going on here. Like, I think it's worth acknowledging that Not every recorded word from Jesus was intended to be a down to the finest detail, perfect expression of unassailable theology, like because that would make it impossible to talk ever. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I think this was a conversation where there's a lot going on. A lot of points are being made. So there's that. Keying off of that, though. This is a—the following is more of a big-picture idea. It's one that's important in my life. I want to encourage you to think about it. It's not something that gets talked about very often in a lot of American churches, and I think in part because it sounds like a scary phrase and a scary concept, but it's a necessary one. Spiritual things can be true without them being literally and at all times true. Hmm. Let me say that again spiritual things can be true and deeply true without them being literally and at all times true i give an example of what i mean knowing god in my own life having a relationship with my higher power has in point of fact given me a very deep and abiding satisfaction that is absolutely true i Remember the person that I was before I was living a life of faith. I'm aware of the person that I am today. There there is a deep and abiding satisfaction that is there. Also, I experience dissatisfaction all the time, like Mm. all the time. Both of these things are true. And neither of them actually negate the other. What they do instead is they add up to what it means to be a human being who is living in connection with a higher and invisible reality, right? To, to be a human, this, this is, is kind of a, a weird life, right? Because on the one hand... You, you are literally biologically an animal and um, you got to eat and you got to get rid of waste product and you got to sleep. And uh, per our last question, when the sun doesn't come out, your brain is like, I guess you'll feel sad now. Like all of these things that are painfully physical are unavoidable parts of the, um, of the human experience. And yet at the same time, I, as a person of faith, I believe human beings are spiritual as well, and human beings, most human beings throughout most of human history, most places, believe about themselves that they are spiritual. And so to, to be human is to experience both of those layers, both, both the layer of a literal animal who always needs something. And, and what is hunger, if not a biological form of dissatisfaction? It is literally your body saying to you, You are not satisfied. You need to take action and you need to take it now. And at the same time, a God, a Savior, a higher power who says, I want to give to you a satisfaction that cannot be had any other way and that cannot actually be dispelled or taken away from you. Both of them are true. All of them are true. And denying either of those realities. A is denying a part of ourselves, but it also kind of sets us up for a fall. If we think that to be a Christian means, well, then I I have to be satisfied at all times, because that's a literal reading of the words that Jesus said in John 4, therefore it must be true. I would submit to you that we are trying to there get something that is not actually what Jesus was saying, but. Perhaps just as importantly, we're setting ourselves up to either think that Jesus was lying or that we're a failure. Mm, And uh, neither of those is a fun place to be, but it's it's also wildly unnecessary. One more thought. One of the things that has been, I think, a net detriment to Christianity, primarily in the 20th and 21st century— has been the rise of celebrity pastors who also write books. And the thing about branding is it's very hard to brand nuanced ideas. You brand big, bold, impressive ideas. In other words, no one wants to read a book, the title of which is How to be Satisfied in Many Substantial Ways, but also live with an ongoing dissatisfaction that is existential in its nature, but both coexist at the same time. No one's reading that book. No one's buying that that book. A life that
0: has purpose, but also has ups and downs and is not always defined by said purpose.
1: Exactly right. Exactly (laughs) right. The book people will publish, the book people will buy, the book people will read is How to Never Be Dissatisfied Again. Now, that is a book people will buy. It's not biblical. It's not real. It's not true. It will jack up your life if you buy into the premise. And critically, the guy writing it doesn't actually think it's true. He just wants to sell books, man. That's, that's the thing. He wants to sell books. And modern Christian culture, at least in the United States, has been so inundated by that impulse that we try to take everything to the extreme all the time. Any theological idea, we try to say, how hardcore can I get with this so that it can be my new sermon series or my new book or my new whatever? The truth, reminder, Christianity is an Eastern religion. The truth yeah. is that you contain multitudes. The truth is that things can be somewhat contradictory and yet not at the same time. They can be true in some ways and false in others. Jesus can promise you a peace that passes all understanding while also being aware you're going to feel very not peaceful much of the time. All of these things can be true. They don't make your Lord a liar and they don't make you a loser. What they point to you is the complexity of the life as a Christian.
0: I think that is a beautiful place to start that off. And Lee, where do we close this out?
2: Okay, I, I, there's something that Jed put into my mind when um, he was talking in his response, and so I want to ask Jed a question. You were talking about the uh, some of these uh, scriptural episodes as being cinematic. Yeah, these days, 2023, which is m- much different than like the 90s when when we were growing up and going to the movies. What would you say is like a pretty standard average uh, movie length? If you're going to the movie theater to watch a movie, buy a ticket. Today? Yeah.
1: Probably two hours, 20 minutes. Okay.
2: (laughs) This is great. Um, Okay. um, So in the last episode, and if you didn't listen to it, no problem. But in the last episode, we talked about the importance of realizing the Bible is not just a book that focuses on telling every little thing exactly how it happened, but the the Bible is deeply deeply the work of artists yep. who organized everything they did in creative tone painting ways. That is never more true than with the Gospel of John. John John was a this was a mystic dude. Yes, before Jesus called him, he was a he was a fisherman, but he was also a very artistic poetic dude. And he uses imagery and symbolism and metaphor and simile in deeply, deeply poetic ways. Okay, when Jed put that thought into my mind, the first thing I thought of was the fact that um, when John wrote his gospel, it did not have included in it the reference points that we have added later into this work. When John wrote it, it was a single block of text that was meant to be taken in at one time from start to finish. It would be really weird for John to think that people would single out the phrase, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would have eternal life, You know, would not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16, that would be really bizarre for John as an artist and as a writer. Um, he wouldn't think of it that way. He would think, you're only ready for that sentence after you've heard all of the beginning of the book up until that point. And then that's going to be the perfect moment for that sentence to land on your ears and on your brain and on your heart. And then he would assume that you would go on and listen to the rest of that, th- that uh, of all of those ideas develop. We added chapter, t- chapter numbers into the Bible in the 400s. So, think about that. For almost 400 years, Christians just took in the whole book of John at a time. And then we added verse numbers in the 1600s. So, Shakespeare didn't have verse numbers. Is that, is it, is he wasn't, he was 1500s, right, Matt? Yep. Okay. Um, Matt knows way more about Shakespeare. Matt's forgotten more about Shakespeare than most people know about Shakespeare. So, had to check the timing on that. Okay. All of that leading up to this. I did a quick Google, if you were to read the entire Gospel of John at one sitting or listen to it, the average reader will spend two hours and ten minutes reading the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is roughly the length of what a, what a good movie would be considered right, right now. Um, that being said, Jesus would say this thing to this woman, you know, at about 40 minutes into the movie, and then maybe an hour... And change later, you would hear him say, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Anybody that remains in me is, you're going to be, you're going to have life in you. You're going to have nourishment. You're going to have what you need to make it through. 11 times in that little speech, he says the word abide or remain, or just the word stay. These concepts are the same thing. He's saying, you're going to have to keep coming back to me. You're going to have to stay in relationship with me, stay, remain, stay here, Um, abide with me. It's like with the, the conversation about the vine and the branches with his disciples, he's saying basically the same thing that he's saying to this woman, which is, I'm introducing you to a new quality of life. I'm not saying you take one sip and you're done forever. I'm saying everything that you've ever tried to sate your thirst with in your life has always left you thirsty again. We are now entering into a realm where there's a whole new quality of life. So at one point in, in chapter four, what we call chapter four, he says to a woman, do you know what thirst feels like? Of course I do. I've got something for that. In what we call chapter six, he's going to say, do you know what hunger feels like? I'm the bread of life. At a certain point, he's going to say, do you know what darkness feels like? I'm the light of the world. Do you know what it feels like to be afraid? I am like a shepherd that takes care of you. This is the way John's supposed to go, and it's supposed to be cinematic, and it's supposed to be about the length of a movie, and you're supposed to take all of it in, and all that imagery and artistry is supposed to work its magic on your brain and your heart as you think about what it feels like to live life and to be dissatisfied and to go back to him again and again. Um, the the whole idea of the scriptures in Psalm 1 is blessed is the person who just keeps meditating on the scriptures day and night. Just like they, they never stop having to go back here and chew on it some more and deal with it some more. Um, and so I think that's what we're finding in this image. It's not that... It's not that it's a different thing it's that it's that as exactly as Jed said, this is an Eastern religion. this is Eastern philosophy. this is about art and poetry. It's meant to be meditated on. you're meant to go back over and over and over again and deal with it some more
0: uh beautifully put by both of these guys, um I would kind of tack onto that that um one of the other one of the other issues that comes up from as Jed described you know kind of the celebrity pastor thing or is kind of all of modern American, certainly Christianity's, uh, orbiting around the same type of product production and the same type of, uh, idea is this idea that every sermon, every book, every thing must be, must contain the whole thing. this is the only thing you're going to need until I write another book. And I think that does kind of file down into the way we look at some of the things in scripture of, the every little story should sum up the whole thing. And that's just not a way for anything to work. Um, these are all different aspects of a thing. Um, so, uh, nothing to feel bad about here. This is a promise that is made to this woman who did have to drink things again. So physical thirst, uh, <laughs> uh re- recurred. And, uh, one of the things that is interesting in this is, as these guys pointed out, the, the idea of, you know, you'll, the wellspring of life, or whatever. Again, that gets a lot of the headline. But even within the same thing, I give them. He says the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. That's a very interesting other point about kind of this being a unique thing. This we we also have to remember of all the th- great background that uh, Jed and Lee gave us on the scriptures. One is uh, it, this conversation took place in a very specific uh, cultural and uh, temporal context where. Uh, getting water was a lot more of a thing than it is for most of us. So the idea of a, a wellspring within yourself that regenerates was I'm sure a very, very appealing concept for people who had to go to a well and fill a vessel every day in order to have a water for what they needed. So I I think when you, when you read anything in the Bible, there's, there's because of the way we have been introduced to a lot of these concepts. If you grew up like most people did, There is this idea that everything should be clear and holistic, that this one verse should unlocks the whole thing. And this one chapter should contain all the thing. And this, you know, everything, everything in the red letters should definitely be the whole thing and should be able to stand on its own and all this. And as these guys have pointed out, it's not really the way it works. And it's, it's a richer experience for uh, not being the way it works, which is always a good thing. Alright if you have a question for us Say that podcast at gmail.com thebridgecago.tumble.com/ If you want to keep that entirely anonymous Taylor, the song of this week uh, This is from the aforementioned Randall Goodgame A song he recorded for us Called Cannons on a Lighthouse Thanks for listening Just remember we love you God loves you There's nothing you can do about it
3: You don't put cannons on a lighthouse No cause you don't need noise For me to know you shine Oh you shine You don't put cannons on a lighthouse, no, cause we don't need noise for us to know they shine. Oh, they shine. You're a city on a hill, so when you go and do His will, your light will shine, 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 shine. You're a city on a hill, so when you go, You don't need noise for us to know they shine They just shine You don't put cannons on a lighthouse No, cause we see it all And then we know you shine Oh, you shine